A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am either uh, two days late or I'm a day early, depending on uh, whether or not you watched the little video that I posted yesterday explaining my absence on Monday and Tuesday of this week after a deer ran into my uh, car on Sunday afternoon about a quarter mile from my house. Just And I'm driving along and it's running. I can see it. I have time to slow down. I have time to actually look and see that there's no oncoming traffic. I had time to move over. Stupid deer had time to turn too, but uh, deer are not known for being the most intelligent creatures uh, on God's green earth. And so it, uh, yeah, it just continued and plowed smack into my car. So anyway, uh, we are back. I'm glad to be with you today. Thank you so much for uh, tuning into the program. We've got a lot to talk about, uh, including some good news when it comes to constitutional carry. Uh, but we're going to start with some bad news out of Nevada, where gun control activists are uh, demanding more restrictions on your right to keep and bear arms. This is the uh, the headline. Uh, progressive groups. I, I don't listen. Here's the thing. I don't think gun control is progressive. Do you? I consider gun control to be very regressive. Gun control is about restricting people's ability to exercise their right to keep and bear arms, to apply limitations to a constitutional right. That's not making progress. It's going backwards. So what is it that these regressive groups want to do in Nevada? Well, the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal uh, says that um, this report, written by the Institute for a Progressive Nevada, yeah, again, if you're talking about gun control, uh, the report written by the Institute for a Progressive Nevada Executive Director, Annette Magnus, as well as Chelsea Parsons, who is with the Center for American Progress. Uh, she is the Vice President of Gun Violence Prevention at the Center for American Progress. This is the uh, former home of Igor Volsky, who left the Center for American Progress to start the uh, gun control group Guns Down. Mm-hmm. So what is it that these uh, gun banners are demanding exactly? Well, you'll be shocked to know that a gun ban is among them. Uh, yeah, according to the uh, report, uh, Nevada law lawmakers could curb firearm violence by banning, quote-unquote, assault weapons, requiring a licensure procedure to own a firearm in the state of Nevada, and by addressing several other, quote, gaps uh, in state laws. Yeah. According to the Las Vegas Review-Journal, the proposed changes have taken up by the Democrat-controlled legislature would probably see immediate opposition from state Republicans and pro-Second Amendment groups. No, no probably about it. it these things would definitely see opposition from pro-Second Amendment groups. Uh, Assemblyman Jim Wheeler, who's a Republican from uh, Minden, Nevada, a former law enforcement officer, says anything that abridges a constitutional right is a non-starter. He says it's just that simple. Obviously, he says we would fight this with everything that we have. The uh, Nevada legislative session kicks off on February the 1st. And again, Democrats are in control of all layers of state government. They, they control the legislature. They control the uh, governor's mansion. Uh, and, uh, and there are six action items that gun control activists want lawmakers in Nevada to take. First, they want gun stores to be declared non-essential businesses. Yeah. 
you remember I, this is this is absurd to me because we've kind of gotten away from the idea of essential and non-essential businesses anyway. But you remember about a year or so ago, early March of 2020, when the first lockdown orders came down, there were a number of states that actually said gun stores are non-essential, even though you had in other states people lining up, waiting for hours to get a gun because they were so concerned about what was going on. Other states like New Jersey, Governor Phil Murphy, um, New Mexico, uh, where Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham also was said, no, these aren't essential stores. Some governors, all of them Democrats. Oh, I take it. Well, I take that back. There was one Republican, Governor Charlie Baker in Massachusetts. He originally declared the gun stores were non-essential. They actually were sued. And uh, a judge ruled that, no, you're violating people's constitutional rights by not allowing them to purchase a firearm during a state of emergency. Um, mostly, though, it was Democrats doing this, declaring gun stores to be non-essential businesses. Well, gun control groups want the state of Nevada to go back to that. Uh, according to this report issued again by these gun control activists, from March 2020 through September 2020, Nevada's accounted for more than 128,000 background checks requested through the FBI's national background check system. They say, the authors do, that, quote, first-time gun owners may lack training in how to use or store firearms, and having a gun increases the likelihood of a shooting death in the home due to accidents, suicide, or domestic violence. So their attitude is nobody should own a gun. Right? So what if 128,000 Nevadans purchased a firearm? What does that matter? If you're not anti-gun, why does that bother you? And, uh, by the way... Those Nevadans have a constitutional right to do so. Now, if you're concerned that these new gun owners aren't getting access to the training that they need, hey, here's an idea. Why don't you demand that gun ranges be declared essential businesses? Rather than trying to shut gun stores down, why don't you make sure that ranges are open? Wouldn't that be a, a, a better way to ensure that these new gun owners get the training that you want them to have? Instead, gun control advocates say, no, we just don't want them to get a gun at all. Uh, Nevada should also ban, quote-unquote, assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, according to the authors of this report. I, I, you know, again, we'll see what happens here. You know the arguments against banning the most commonly owned centerfire rifle in America today. You know the arguments against banning magazines that can hold more than 10 rounds of ammunition. National Shooting Sports Foundation estimates that there are at least 150 million of these magazines across the country, many of them in the hands of Nevadans. They also want uh, a license to own a gun. The report cites a Giffords Law Center to prevent gun violence report that notes that eight states have passed gun licensing laws, which often require additional steps like an interview as well as fingerprint records. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you're licensing a right, if you are requiring pre-approval by the government, before you can exercise a constitutional right, you're infringing on that right. Plain and simple. And by the way, the authors of this report talk about how minorities are more likely to be the victim of gun violence in the state of Nevada. I would argue that minorities are also going to be more likely to be denied a gun license. I mean, and, and I would think, by the way, that these gun control activists would agree. After all, isn't the criminal justice system systemically biased? So why would you want to put, if you truly believe that, if you truly believe that the criminal justice system is biased 
against minorities or maybe just lower income Americans, but that it's not an equitable playing field for all. If you believe that, then why on earth would you be in favor of putting restrictions in place that will inevitably fall on those who are already disfavored by the criminal justice system? Why would you make it harder for those Americans to exercise their right to keep and bear arms? That's exactly what this report would do if its recommendations were followed by lawmakers in Nevada. Uh, Along with the ban on so-called assault weapons, Nevada should also ban the sale of quote-unquote ghost guns, according to this new report. Uh, As the Las Vegas Review-Journal describes it, uh, partially disassembled gun kits that can be reassembled with little expertise and thus used to get around serial number tracing. That's not what a ghost gun is. It's not a partially disassembled gun kit that can be reassembled. A a quote-unquote ghost gun, as used by gun control advocates, describes an unfinished firearm, an 80% frame, an 80% receiver, something that is not finished that you can buy under federal law And because it's not considered a firearm, you can then complete that firearm. You can finish building it yourself. And again, under federal law, as long as you are making that firearm and you're not selling it to somebody else, as long as it's maintaining and you're maintaining possession of it, you're not required to serialize it under federal law. But again, gun control advocates want to try to ban things that aren't even firearms. First, they want to redefine these things that aren't firearms as firearms, and then they want to turn around and ban them. Uh, The report also recommends uh, lawmakers should loosen the state's firearm preemption law, allowing localities to pass their own restrictive gun control measures that go far beyond what even Democratic lawmakers in the state capital of Nevada would do. It's Carson City, right? I think it's Carson City. So there you go. There's the anti-gun wish list uh, from uh, Nevada. And by the way, this anti-gun wish list is likely the same for every state of the union, whether or not gun control activists believe that they can get these agenda items enacted in states like Texas or Oklahoma, or Missouri is something else entirely. But what do they want to do? This is what they want to do. They want to ban the most commonly sold rifle in America today. They want to ban the most commonly owned ammunition magazines in America today. They don't want you to be able to build your own firearm. They want to make that a crime. They want to require a license And by the way, a very subjective process, right? It's not simply like getting a shallow you can seal carry license where you go, you pass the background check, you meet the statutory requirements. No, 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 no. They want character references. They want to determine your suitability, not your legality. They want to determine whether or not they believe you are suitable to exercise a constitutional right. And if they decide that you're not suitable, then you don't get to legally own a gun. This is their agenda. To turn the right of the people to keep and bear arms into a privilege of the chosen few to own and possess the arms and ammunition that they will allow you to for now. Again, that, that, that turns a right on its head. And it's why, one of the many reasons why, the uh, anti-gun legislative agenda of the uh, quote-unquote progressives, of the regressives uh, in Nevada, uh, should be fought every step of the way by Republicans 
uh, in the state house. Now, I mentioned that's what's going on on the bad side, right? That's what's going on with gun control groups. These are their agenda items, and they're pushing at the uh, state level right now. But gun owners are pushing back. And one of the big uh, to-do items for gun owners this year is constitutional carry. Uh, about 10 states, I think it's nine states, have actually introduced constitutional carry legislation this year. Keep in mind, we already have 16 states around the country where if you can legally own a gun, you can legally carry it, no permit required. So the constitutional carry revolution, well underway. And I, 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 you know, I wish I could say that every one of these states where the bill's been introduced, it's going to pass and it's going to become law. I, I don't know that that's the case. There are going to be some... States like Ohio, for example, where a constitutional carry was just introduced, that might face a, a tougher climb. Uh, even with a Republican-controlled legislature and a Republican governor, um, I, I, I think that's going to be it's going to be a tough haul in Ohio. Utah, on the other hand, I think is going to get it done. Uh, on Tuesday, the Utah House passed constitutional carry. Um, every Democrat voted against it. Two Republicans voting against the measure as well, but it did clear the House handily and now goes over to the Utah State Senate. Uh, so if, if there is, and I believe there are going to be multiple states, I really do, I think there are going to be multiple states that adopt constitutional carry this year, but just based on the legislative calendar and where this has started moving, um, it's probably going to be Utah. Montana's close behind. Montana has generally had permitless carry outside of incorporated areas anyway, but they've got a bill that would... Um, in essence, uh, bring permitless carry to the entire state. It would also do a couple of other things, remove a lot of gun-free zones. It would uh, uh, allow for campus carry for concealed carry holders. Uh, that, that's a, a sort, of, sort of a bigger bill. It's not just a pure constitutional carry bill. It, too, is making progress, and it has the backing of the governor. So I expect that that bill is going to be signed into law at some point this session. Um, but if I had to make a bet, I would probably put my money on Utah being the first state this year to adopt constitutional carry now that that bill is cleared out of the house chamber and it's over on the uh, senate side we are obviously keeping up with as many of these bills both good and bad as we possibly can uh we'll try to you know report back on some of the the major progress or major setbacks here on bearing arms cam and company but don't forget to check out cam and company or don't forget to check out bearingarms.com excuse me uh, each and every day for even more second amendment news and information uh, right now, let's turn our attention to our good deed of the day, our recidivist report, our armed citizen story. We'll start, however, with our uh, recidivist report out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, where a new lawsuit has been filed. Blaming Albuquerque's sanctuary city policy uh, for the death of a uh, woman who was murdered in the city back in 2019. Jacqueline Vigil, 55 years of age was murdered in the driveway of her home just a uh, couple of weeks after Albuquerque police had responded to a series of auto burglaries in a shooting incident allegedly involving a guy named Luis Talamantes Romero. He's a Mexican national who was in the United States illegally last November when he was charged with Vigil's murder. Um, right now, he's behind bars. He's in Texas awaiting trial on re illegal reentry charges. But this lawsuit that was filed by Vigil's husband alleges that the sanctuary policy enabled Talamantes Romero, along with his family and associates, to use the city as a, quote, home base for crime. Uh, Vigil was in her car headed to the gym when she was shot to death. 
mother of two New Mexico State police officers. She worked at a child daycare center, a legal immigrant to the United States from Columbia two decades earlier. Uh, in the lawsuit, Mayor Tim Keller's name, city of Albuquerque, as well as Albuquerque police officer Cody Toppy, uh, who investigated an incident about a month before Vigil's murder in October of 2019, in which two men were shot, uh, excuse me, in which two men shot at a dwelling and then chased and shot at a car driven by a young man. Talamanos Romero was identified as the prime suspect in that shooting incident, along with an associate uh, named Eduardo Aguilar, who's also an undocumented immigrant. Uh, no criminal complaint was filed in that incident. No arrests were made. But the lawsuit alleges that the investigation should have put the police on notice that Talamantes Romero was somebody to be keeping an eye on. Uh, according to the lawsuit, after this gangster-style shooting, no steps were taken by the Albuquerque Police Department to apprehend Talamantes Romero or Aguilar. The police did not inform federal law enforcement that Talamantes Romero or Aguilar had illegally re-entered the country and committed multiple felony offenses. The lawsuit says police, quote, ignored this gift from God to avert tragedy and continued to value political principles over the safety and welfare of these citizens of Albuquerque. Lawsuit also says that the city missed a chance to arrest Talamantes Romero in September of 2019. During a burglary of a truck at a hotel parking lot, his blood and fingerprints were found in the vehicle in which several firearms were stolen. Uh, Talamantes Romero has a lengthy criminal record in Albuquerque and elsewhere. He's been arrested uh, and charged with multiple crimes. And the lawsuit says, had he been arrested, charged and convicted in either of the two incidents that I just mentioned, Federal immigration officials could have been notified. He would have been taken off the streets and charged with illegal reentry, which carries up to a 20-year prison sentence if an aggravated felony had occurred. So, don't know where this lawsuit's going to go, but um, it is worth noting that uh, Mayor Keller signed off on a sanctuary city policy in April of 2018, prohibiting city employees including police officers, from collecting information regarding a person's immigration status. And it also bars the city from disclosing information that it possesses regarding national origin, absent a valid judicial warrant for such information. So I don't know, again, where this lawsuit's going, but it does sound to me like police could have in, at least informed uh, DHS or uh, ICE that, hey, you know what, there is somebody here who we know is in this country illegally. We don't have enough information to formally connect him to a crime. Although, again, fingerprints in a truck, yeah, you'd think they would. Um, the problem is, though, that they didn't have him in custody. So it's not like they could have called ICE and said, hey, we got this guy, come take him. Again, the lawsuit's alleging they should have had him in custody. Uh, either way, we know that somebody with a lengthy criminal history in this country, illegally, and not for the first time, uh, is now standing trial for the murder of a 55-year-old woman when he should not have been in this country. And if he was in this country, he should have been behind bars. All right, on to our uh, armed citizen story of the day. From Moss Point, Mississippi where an investigation is underway after a home invasion on Sunday evening. This from uh, WXXV-TV in uh, Moss Point, Mississippi. It was about 6.30 in the evening when police got a call on uh, Sunday. Shots fired. Officers responded to that call. Uh, and after arriving, they found a man lying in the middle of the road. Male victim appeared to have been shot. He was pronounced dead on the scene. Uh, police chief Brandon Ashley says the deceased man and another individual had attempted to 
carry out an armed home invasion of a home in the area. The two men approached the door of the residence. They encountered the homeowner. At least one of the two men fired a gun multiple times at the homeowner, striking the homeowner at least once. But the homeowner was armed as well and returned fire, striking at least one of the two intruders. That intruder again fatally wounded. The other uh, ran away. Homeowner, thankfully, treated and released from the hospital for his wounds. Two suspects have yet to be identified. Authorities say the case will be presented to a grand jury for review. Uh, but at this point, the homeowner is not expected to face any charges. Finally, today, we've got our good deed of the day from uh, New York Mills, New York, where a woman helped from her burning vehicle by an unknown passerby, along with a uh, New York Mills police officer and a firefighter after it caught fire in a head-on collision Monday afternoon. Cheryl Reed was uh, driving down the road when she collided with a uh, vehicle just before 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, Reed was assisted out of her vehicle by police officer Christopher DeLong, firefighter uh, Captain Joe Ropel, and an unknown male civilian. DeLong and the civilian carried Reed to the front porch of a nearby house where medical responders could uh, treat her. According to uh, Firehouse.com, uh, both Reed and McNeil, the only occupants in their vehicles, they were both brought to a hospital and uh, thankfully treated for non-life-threatening injuries. I know how scary that can be, and I'm glad that she's okay and in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. I'm glad that the uh, unknown civilian, as well as the uh, police officer and firefighter from New York Mills, New York, in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing. That is going to do it for this edition of Barry Arms, Cam and Company. Thank you for being a part of the program. As always, don't forget, you can subscribe at Town Hall Media. That way you'll never miss a program. Also, uh, if you go to Rumble, uh, Town Hall Media on YouTube, I should say. Not just like, where do I go to Town Hall yeah, yeah, on YouTube, we're at Town Hall Media. To make it more confusing, on Rumble, we're at Barry Arms, Cam and Company. And on um, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, we're Barry Arms, Cam and Company as well. Town Hall Media, you get more than just me. You get more than just Cam and Company. You get Brandon Morris. You get all kinds of good stuff. Brian Preston's uh, putting up videos as well. Uh, so make sure you subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube or these other locations. And we'll see you back here tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.